the gap between the haves and have-nots has grown wider over the last 18 months. That's the finding from a group of business leaders across the state who say they want to create equity in small business. The Coalition for an Equitable Economy released a report in May that shows in Massachusetts before the pandemic, entrepreneurs of color were already less likely to get the funds they need to grow their businesses, a shortfall of almost half a billion dollars a year. So how have folks in the community attempted to solve this problem? This is And Another Thing. Derek Kennedy is off today. I'm Maya Schwader. That same report was co-authored by Boston Indicators, and it shows the capital gap has gotten worse during the pandemic. For example, 81% of white-owned firms in Massachusetts received their full paycheck, paycheck protection program loan request, but just 71% of black or Latinx firms got the full amount they asked for. Now, to help bridge that gap, State Senator Eric Lesser of Longmeadow is co-sponsoring two new pieces of legislation. One bill would mandate that the state develop a plan for supporting businesses of color. The other would create a $10 million competitive grant program for minority-owned and minority-led startups in high-growth tech fields. Think high-tech sector in Massachusetts, life sciences companies, technology, you know, startup and venture spaces have been a huge engine for our economy in Massachusetts, but unfortunately have not been very diverse. They've been very focused on men uh, and very focused on white men in particular. So the idea here would be to create a fund uh, that would be able to seed and provide startup capital specifically to minority entrepreneurs. Is there anything in there for perhaps minority entrepreneurs who are not going into STEM? Yeah, so the, the the bill that we did with Mass Ventures is really specifically a trying to bridge the gap at these very high growth sectors, which are really one of the key engines of, uh, of growth for the state. We have a different bill that's really about inclusion around procurement and around seeding small businesses across a broader swath of the economy. Think about, you know, the majority of local and particularly minority-owned businesses are local community businesses, whether it's small shops, hair salons, nail salons, barbershops, restaurants, dry cleaners. Uh, and so those types of businesses would be supported uh, by a different bill that's really meant to work in tandem. The idea here is, is that we've got to help at both ends of the income chain. We've got to provide opportunity for the kind of quote unquote old school or like old economy businesses that are still very much drivers of growth and drivers of job creation at a neighborhood and community level. Uh, but we've also got to do a lot more to diversify some of the fastest growing and frankly most lucrative parts of the Massachusetts economy in those really high growth areas in tech, life sciences, uh, and, uh, and, venture, and venture sectors. Assuming that this grant program becomes reality, how do you make sure that black and brown entrepreneurs know that this money exists and is available to them? Well, programs like this will be part of it, uh, but it's also going to be working with partners, you know, local partners, community organizations, our community development financial institutions uh, that are spread out statewide and are particularly strong in our gateway cities uh, are great partners in terms of getting the word out uh, as are you know different industry and um, and um, and you know chamber of commerce groups and community based groups you know writing writing things down as policy from Beacon Hill is one thing making sure it's making its way into communities uh, and into local uh, local families is another the other thing I would I would just add is that the um, the very significant uh, multi billion dollar bill that we just completed 
appropriating the Recovery Act money from the federal government, the Senate included language in that bill for reporting requirements back to us about the status of engagement with minority communities and the spending of that money specifically in minority communities and in supporting minority organizations and businesses. So we will also be, uh, I think, making some good progress from that legislation also. State Senator Eric Lesser, thank you so much for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me. Black and Latino communities make up more than a fifth of the Massachusetts population, but in the 2018 U.S. Census, it showed that they own just 9% of all businesses in the state. And the Boston Foundation says Massachusetts currently lacks precise racial data on who's getting all of the government grants and loans for small businesses. Joining us now to unpack that lack of numbers is Tiffany Alicia. She is the founder and president of Black and Brown Wall Street, a Springfield-based community group who is working to support the development and growth of black and brown-owned businesses in the city. Tiffany, thank you so much for joining us this evening. I'd like to start by asking, what is the disconnect? Why is it that black and brown businesses are not getting as much money as white-owned businesses? Um, Thank you so much for having me. Um, There is a complex answer to that, Um, but unfortunately it all goes back to systems of oppression. And um, going based off of what uh, Senator Lesser just brought up, oftentimes the legislation and the policy and the actual um, funding sources are there and available but once it comes to the accessibility of them and the implementation periods, it seems to not actually reach the black and brown communities in the ways that the legislation was meant to be. Um, some of it is just straight up oppression. The most pervasive example we have right now is the local fiscal recovery fund, um, which Senator Lester referred to as ARPA on the state level. Right now, the ARPA applications involve six pages and countless uh, documentation that the average uh, citizen may not have in order to access this relief funding. So um, that's just one example. But there are many reasons why there's a disconnect between um, the funding sources and actually getting it in the hands of the people that need it. So then what happens to the grant funds that are allocated for entrepreneurs of color? Does it just sit there? Well, no, because once there's money uh, put in the hands of any government, it's going to get spent. Not necessarily how it's supposed to be, but it will get spent. So, um, again, keep it along with the example we have now. Um, We received, as a district, $127 million from the federal ARPA funding in May of 2021. It was signed into law in March, and we received the money in May. That was supposed to be for immediate relief for individuals and families, yet the only thing the money has been spent on so far is three commercial properties for the city. Now, you can use different loopholes and different interpretations of the law to spend money on a lot of different things. And so what ends up happening happening is it gets reallocated to other uh, potentially beneficial um allocations, but um, not necessarily what it was meant for in the first place. So it doesn't just disappear. Um, Most likely it gets reallocated and used in a way that benefits the few instead of the greater body of Springfield. 
I want to get your reaction to something. So earlier this month, the research director of Mass Inc. was testifying before the legislature, and he said that Massachusetts has provided, quote, unprecedented support and unprecedented access to capital for entrepreneurs of color and that they are starting businesses at rates that we've never seen before. Does that square with your experience as the president of Black and Brown Wall Street? So, um, yes and no. I will always uh, say that the black and brown communities have been creative because we've had to be developing businesses um, and gaining that entrepreneurial, that economic independence has been essential uh, aspect of gaining our freedom and just our rights as citizens in this country. Um, Mass Inc., I've actually attended some of the webinars and they have lots of data that showcase that more and more black and brown businesses are being created. That doesn't necessarily mean that they're accessing the funding that's available to them. So both things can be true. There could be funding being allocated and there could be lots of black and brown businesses being created. It doesn't necessarily mean that the black and brown businesses are accessing those fundings. Because right now on paper, it looks like there's $127 million in Springfield going towards black and brown businesses. But all we've had so far is commercial property. So it's easy to see on paper that they have allocated unprecedented funds and there are unprecedented amounts of businesses being created. It doesn't mean those two um, things are um, interconnected in the way that we were hoping it would. Real quickly, if you can, what's the solution? How to make this more accessible? Um, we have to attack it on multiple fronts. Right now, Black and Brown Wall Street, I have consistently put out ARPA working writing sessions for the community, just community workshops where we're building uh, business plans and budgets and helping them gain the grant writing skills that uh, bigger organizations literally pay for through grant writing. And then also on the other side, advocating um, about... It's totally fine. Tiffany Alicia, thank you so much for joining us. She is the president of Black and Brown Wall Street in Springfield. With plans in the works to provide more state support and capital to entrepreneurs of color in Massachusetts, how can access to that help be improved? Coming up, we'll hear from a local organization working to support inclusive entrepreneurship in the region. Stay with us. You're listening to a previous broadcast of And Another Thing. Welcome back to And Another Thing. Derek Kennedy is off today. I'm Maya Schwader. Today we're discussing the inequities in funding for black and brown businesses in Massachusetts. A recent report from a group of businesses who call themselves the Coalition for an Equitable Economy says that white businesses are more than twice as likely than a business owner of color to own a business in the Bay State. And the report says that, quote, if we do not substantially increase rates of business ownership among residents of color, the number of new startups will fall ever more sharply in the future, close quote. There is at least one local organization that's been actively working against this trend. Joining us now is Tessa Murphy-Rombaletti. She is the executive director of E for All in Holyoke. The E stands for Entrepreneurship for All. It is a what is called an inclusive business accelerator program for entrepreneurs in small and mid-sized cities like Holyoke and Springfield. Tessa Murphy-Rombaletti, thank you so much for joining us on And Another Thing. So the... Holyoke branch of E for All started in 2018. How were things going before the pandemic? 
Well, thank you. Um, you know, before the pandemic, we had a lot of great entrepreneurs who were going through our program and reaching out um, because they were interested in starting new businesses. Um, we actually had a cohort that went through the program. They started in January of 2020 in person, um, and they graduated from the program March 21st, 2020, completely virtual. And, um, you know, it's uh, we've always had a lot of great entrepreneurs go through our program, folks that are really interested in starting a business, but they are not typically represented in economic development. And so um, prior to the pandemic, uh, things, things were good, things were moving forward, and then the pandemic happened and things shut down. And my job changed a lot. I want to come back to that, but real quickly for our listeners who might not know, what is a business accelerator? So a business accelerator, uh, we use the word accelerator because that is literally what we are trying to do is accelerate someone's idea or business. And so uh, for our program, the accelerator is a year-long program that helps individuals who are at the early stages of either starting or growing their business. Um, get access to specialists, um, experts in the business world, um, and uh, really help them, uh, you know, take their business from idea to launch. Um, and there's a lot of different ways that accelerators are considered, but ours is a little bit unique in that um, we often try to help people who are not typically represented in economic development. So you were talking about how you had a, a bunch of new people coming through the program and they had to graduate in 2021 on Zoom. What has happened since the pandemic? Have you noticed any trends in the businesses that you're supporting? Yeah. So, you know, when the pandemic first hit, I thought, oh, my gosh, this is it. No one's ever going to want to start a business again, um, especially in these very uncertain times. But I was completely wrong. Um, our applications have actually doubled um, since uh, pre-pandemic times. And I really, you know, we have more people who are reaching out to volunteer for us. Um, and there's a lot of people who are turning to entrepreneurship now in this time when their employment has changed, their home life has changed. Um, and so I'm, I'm glad I was wrong. But yeah, people are really thinking about entrepreneurship now as a way to provide for themselves and their families. So how does your program work to overcome the stumbling blocks that, as we heard from a previous guest, can be in the way, especially of entrepreneurs of color? Absolutely. So to, to highlight this, you know, Holyoke itself is a population of about 54% of our, of our city's residents are Latino, and uh, just about 10% of our businesses are Latino-owned. And so we really believe that uh, there are unique barriers that people of color face when they are trying to start a business. And um, folks who are considered low to moderate income individuals, they don't have access to capital. They don't have access to these professional networks. Um, and they don't have access to mentors, you know, and people who are really uh, encouraged 
to become entrepreneurs, um, many of them are already being entrepreneurial. They don't even realize it. And so what we do is bring in, you know, a bunch of different uh, experts and um, amazing volunteers who all have some kind of a business background. Um, and mm -hmm. we provide them access to mentorship and seed funding and um, the kind of knowledge that they need in order to be successful. Because, you know, the 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 amount mm -hmm. of opportunities that are available in small to mid-sized cities and for people of color, it's just not there. And so right. that's why E4ALL exists, really. Tessa Murphy-Rombaletti of E4ALL, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. One of the startups that has benefited from E4ALL support has been The Hub. That's an acronym that stands for Hustlers Unite and Build. It's a minority-owned collaborative space in downtown Springfield that is aimed at creative professionals. It opened just a month before COVID-19 shut most businesses down. However, the hub is one of five Puerto Rican-owned businesses in Springfield that the state Senate honored this month for remaining open during the pandemic. Joining us now are the owners of the hub, Chris Joel and Tiana Ray Burnett. Thank you both so much for joining us. I would like to know, when you hear pieces of legislation that are proposed, like what Senator Eric Lesser has put forward, a bill that would mandate the state to develop a plan for businesses of color, another that creates a lot of money specifically for minority-owned businesses, what do you think of that? Do you think that that's going to help businesses like yours at all? I Thank you for having us, first of all. Um, and I think it'll definitely help um, small businesses, especially small businesses of color. But I think the biggest bit of information that we would need to also know is what qualifies us to be able to receive that funding. Um, something that we've seen throughout the pandemic so far is that there are a ton of different qualifications that you need to meet before you can even start considering getting any type of funding. Um, so having those channels of communication open and transparent, I think would be absolutely key in just how we can share that knowledge and insight with others. I'd love to know a little bit more about what your funding journey has been like, because as we've heard, accessing grants, even if they're there, is not that simple. What's it been like for you guys? Yeah, so um, as you said, we went through the e for All program, which allowed us to get some seed money from that program. So that helped us a lot. We even turned to crowdfunding. We did a Facebook fundraiser and we were able to meet our rent at a point where it was increasing at like the peak of the pandemic. Um, so our community has really been able to rally towards us and that has been our biggest support. But as far as grant funding and just other initial capital or lines of business credit, we have not yet utilized any of those or had access to that. Chris, for you, opening a, a business like this just before everything has to shut down, what went through your head when you learned that we were going to be going into shutdown and then we weren't really coming out of it? Uh, naturally, we felt panic. Um, of course, we had a lot of bookings during that time that we lost uh, because of the pandemic. So we definitely went on a journey of building a business from scratch and not only that but having to quickly adapt to the new world of you know the COVID restrictions that kind of reduced 
our success or reduced our our space that we can execute in. And Chris, what was it like having to navigate things like the PPP loans, trying to get some state and local grants? Was that easy? Uh, we didn't actually apply to the PPP loan because, like Tiana said, the qualifications uh, disqualified us from mm-hmm. even applying or receiving any of the the funds. I understand. So, so where did you have to turn to keep the to keep the space alive during this time? Uh, to our community internally, we had to really increase our hustle and uh, think on the spot and think about how to build that business in the midst of a global pandemic. Uh, so we turned into we turned to our community, we turned to our team, our friends. And we really executed uh, our plan throughout the pandemic and came out on top. So what did it mean to you guys to be able to keep your business alive and serving your community during the pandemic? Tiana, do you have any thoughts? Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, So because of us being a creative space and us being creative individuals, we understand that there is a very solid and distinct need to have that creative expression and freedom to create. So amongst the... um, you know, the isolation and the lack of communication and ability to be around other people, we knew that it was crucial for us to stay open. Like, no matter what, there there wasn't ever a plan B. And I remember saying that in our E4L interview, Tessa asked us, all right, so what's plan B? And we're like, there is no plan B. <laughs> there was no other option for us to not be open because we did see the benefit um, and just the amount of people that were still willing to work with us. We had people coming in from all over New England as far as, you know, Rhode Island and New Jersey just to work with us to be at a safe and open space that was able to still provide them these services in, you know, a refreshed and also up-to-standards way. Tiana Ray Burnett and Chris Joel are the owners of The Hub in Springfield. Thank you both so much for joining us. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks so much for joining us again for And Another Thing. The conversation does not end here. It continues on Facebook and Twitter. You can find us across all platforms at AAT on NEPM. And you can check out our website for more information or to hear this or any of our past programs. It's the And Another Thing page of NEPM.org. I'm Maya Schwader. Thank you so much for joining us and have a great evening.